and we're reading from verses 19 to 29. And as we hear the word read and preached this morning, may the Lord be pleased to breathe new life into our souls. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead, and gives them life. Even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son, does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Praise God for his living word. I cannot tell you what a joy it is for Beulah and myself to be here today. Um, Simon mentioned that it's 20 years since he's been here. I can't believe that. that see if you've been here that long. You still and you look like spring chickens, you know. <laughs> and uh, how wonderful to, to uh, see Alice doing what she's doing here. It's just, it's just terrific. And so we rejoice with you. This is your, t- your 10th anniversary, is that right? Is that in this building? <laughs> Ten years to all together. How wonderful. Uh, I just rejoice in that. That's really tremendous. Now, um, I'm here today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity of joining in on this 10th anniversary service. It's a very great joy and a privilege for us. But I'm here today to talk to you about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what you want to celebrate on any anniversary service in a church. So, let me start by telling you that uh, I've been reading two biographies this week. Now, I always read two or three different, like most of us who are in ministry, we read a number of different books at the same time, and I'm reading this massive, tedious biography by Barack Obama. I don't know if you've seen it, it's about six or seven hundred pages, of tedious American minutiae, all the stuff that goes on behind um, the doors in the American system. 
Um, however, he was what he was, and it's, he wrote this very interesting book for some people. And in fact, he makes one comment uh, in the book that struck me when I read it yesterday. And he says this, he's in the Middle East, he's meeting Middle Eastern leaders, he doesn't trust them, and um, he finds them very difficult, and he makes the comment that he wishes that people of re- who had a religious faith that was absolutist would learn to be more tolerant. Now, of course, there's a lot of truth in that, in what he's saying, uh, that he wishes people who were absolutist would be more tolerant. Well, we who are Christians are absolutists because we believe absolutely that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Saviour that God has given to mankind whereby we may be saved. And of course we've got to preach that message with great love and great tolerance and great patience. But then the other biography that I was reading was that of George Whitfield, who most of you will know. Now there's many biographies of these that have been written and I've read many of them, but this is a newish one. And um, I was interested to read that George Whitfield made the comment and established his own life by this, that he had to have an absolute love for the person of Jesus Christ before he could take one step for Jesus in service. He had to love Jesus, the person, more than the Bible. Jesus, the person, more than any of his actions, any of his activities. And I thought that he had a point that he was making, that there are many of us who have missed out on the sense that we have to have a love for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not send us an idea into the world to save the world whereby we may be saved. He sent his Son And his son came into the world as a human being, flesh and blood, so that he could interact with us, so that we could know him as a person and through knowing him know God. And he sent his son so that we may love him because Jesus speaks about loving him and about him loving us. And so it's the person of Jesus Christ that we have to get hold of and who needs to be glorified. And of course we know that his person is glorified through his word and that the way in which we glorify him is by believing what he says and by being obedient to his inspired word. But we must not overlook the fact that the person of the Lord Jesus Christ should be embraced by us in our hearts and in our affections. Now the passage that was read for us today is from John's Gospel chapter 5 and, and, and only very reckless preachers will preach from John chapter 5 to new congregations. For it's, not, it's not an easy passage to preach from. And so I'm preaching to you today, but I'm simplifying as much as I can because it is a very, very profound passage. But it does bring out the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what I want you to see today. I want you to understand something of how glorious and wonderful this person whom we love and whom we embrace really is and why it is we should embrace him and follow him. And of course, we started reading uh, from verse... Uh, where did we start reading from? Verse 19. 19. We started reading from verse 19 today. But John's Gospel, chapter 5, doesn't begin at verse 19. There's something that happens before verse 19. 
And before verse 19, there is the amazing story of Jesus walking past the pool of Bethesda. He's walking through that particular colonnade. And there people are gathered, waiting for the pool to be stirred. Now it appears that there was a belief among some of the early uh, uh, some of the Jewish people in those early days in the first century uh, who believed that there was some miraculous event that took place in the pool once a year when an angel came down from heaven and stirred the waters and the first one into the pool would be healed. Now you must understand that there were many superstitions like that around at the time and there is a lot that you will learn if you read the literature that was written between the Old and the New Testament. Read a lot of the rabbinic literature that sponsored some of these particular superstitions. But these people believed that. Now there was a man there who had been unable to walk for 38 years. 38 years, people. Think of that. How old are you today? Now if you have been laid up for 38 years, you know that you develop a culture of illness and disability. You must know that your whole life has been geared around a disability. Your whole life, all of your contacts, all the people you know, the way you move, the way you eat, the way you, the things you expect of life, it's all, it's, all been, it's all been geared around this 38 years of illness. And Jesus comes across this person. Now it's interesting to see that Jesus does not concern himself with anyone else at the pool. And here we see the great Lord Jesus whom we love exercising divine sovereignty by simply overstepping certain people and going to one man. And he says to this one man who had lived for 38 years with a dismal disability, he says, do you want to be healed? And what does this man say to Jesus? Does he say, yes Lord, I want to be healed. Yes, I want, I want healing. Yes, I want to be made whole again. No, he doesn't. He complains and says, I don't have anyone to put me into the pool. He complains. He has no conception who he's talking to and no idea who is offering him healing. But the Lord Jesus nevertheless heals him and tells him to take up his mat and to go home. Well, when this healing takes place and the man goes home, what we discover is that there are two things that happen. The one is that Jesus meets the man and tells him to sin no more. Now, Jesus didn't often do that with people that he healed. And the second thing is the man went and reported Jesus to the authorities. Now, my friends, what you've got here is an amazing story of a man who had been disabled for a long time and who had met Jesus face to face and had not seen his glory. And even though he experienced the common grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ by being healed, there was no understanding in him at all of who Jesus was and he reports Jesus to his enemies. You know, it is possible to experience good things from God and not to recognize where it comes from possible for that to happen. And so this man reports him to the authorities and by doing that he kicks off a debate that the authorities have with the Lord Jesus Christ which takes up the rest of John chapter 5 and chapter 6. 
And in that debate, these men are enraged by the Lord Jesus Christ because of two things. The first is that he healed the sick man on the Sabbath day and told him to take up his mat and walk and one of the Sabbath rules was you are not allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath day. Now can you imagine the smallness of mind? Can you imagine, can you imagine the absolute blindness of these people who witness a miracle and instead of witnessing the miracle and rejoicing in it, they are more concerned about the rules and the regulations. Now there are many people and many religions like that today that are more concerned about the rules and the regulations than the joy and the freedom of meeting with the great King of heaven and the freedom and the joy that he brings into our lives. So these men engage Jesus in an argument over, first of all, the Sabbath day and that leads on to an argument about who Jesus was because Jesus spoke about his Father in heaven and now these people pick up in Jesus' conversation that he is making himself equal with God. And when you read the following discourse that takes place between Jesus and these people, you will see that he does make himself equal with God. And if you ever want to take a friend through a portion of the Bible to teach them the truth about the Trinity, this is a good portion, but make sure you know it first yourself. Because Jesus is the Son of God and he is equal with God in every way. And so here we've got a passage which presents to us the great glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and it comes immediately after the Lord had worked a great and a glorious miracle which had not been appreciated at all by the recipient nor by those to whom he reported it. Nevertheless, in the conversation that follows, the Lord Jesus Christ acknowledges in many ways his equality with the Father in heaven because whatever the Father does, he does, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the Father does, he does. There's nothing that the Father does that Jesus doesn't do. There's a unity in them all, you see. So the Lord Jesus Christ tells us uh, in verse, in verse uh, uh, 19, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now you must remember that God is at work all the time. God is, 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 is at work in the universe right now. Some of you can see through the windows, through those clouds over the mountains. God is at work arranging the way those clouds will flow and form. God is at work in your lives. God is at work in your families. God never ceases his work across the world and in the lives of the millions of people who live in our world. All the troubles and the traumas in the world, everything that happens, all the good things in the world, beneath it all is the controlling sovereign power of a great God. Now that power is exercised by the Lord Jesus Christ as well. The Father does what the Son does. And the Father shows the Son what he is going to do. And that's unusual language for us. But it is a way of Jesus saying that I'm equal with the Father. Now he's not equal with the Father in the sense he came into the world and became equal with the Father. 
He was equal with the Father before he came into the world. And now he discloses his equality in the world by doing things amongst people which only God can do. Do you think there was a prophet living in Israel who could go to that poolside and say to that man, take you of your mat and walk? There was no prophet who could do that. Do you think there was some religious healer who could do that? Was there some famous rabbi who could do that? Or some great teacher from the desert who could walk into the colonnade of the pool of Bethesda and say to the man, take up your bed and walk? No, there was no one who could do that. But the one who creates the body, the one who creates the bones, is able to walk to that man and say, take up your bed and walk, and strength comes back into legs that had not been used for 38 years, and he's able to take up his bed and walk to the room. He's healed. He's healed. And only God can do that. Sorry, should I stop for a moment? And only God can do that. And so I want to point out to you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And is the glory of God revealed to us here in this world. Now let me just point out to you three great things this morning that are very important for you to understand if you want to talk about the glory of Christ and the uniqueness of Jesus to anybody who's in your family circle. In this passage of scripture we read these words, for instance. In verse 21 we uh, read, now I've got a very small print Bible here, but I'm going to find it and read it for you in verse 21. Jesus says this, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So the first thing I want to say to you today by way of pointing out to you the glory of Christ is that Christ's glory is revealed in that he has got the power to give life. Now when you say that, you say, well that's all religious talk we've heard, you know, lots of you for, for a long time and from lots of preachers we know about this. But I want you to think about this for a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ made this statement, remember? For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now giving life is a God thing to do. It's not a man thing to do, or a woman thing to do, or a prophet thing to do, or a preacher thing to do. It's a God thing to do. Only God can give life. And so because this is a God-like thing to do, no one else could do it unless he was God. And so we read in this verse that Jesus has got the power to give life. So what does that tell you about Jesus? It tells you that he is equal to the Father and has got the power to reach into our death-struck world with the grace of life. He can do that, but no one else can. Furthermore, we know from other portions in, the, in John's Gospel that this life is eternal life. It is not just normal life where someone starts breathing again and their chest starts eating, but it is a quality of life that has got more to do with heaven than, on earth, than with earth. It has got to do with spiritual reality. 
it has got to do with something great and not understood by the people of this world. And this power is put into the hands of Jesus Christ. Many, many people today are filled with say, you know, I, I often think when I wake up in the morning that there are billions of people around our world who wake up in the morning with the weight of the world on their shoulders. And many of them don't even know why they feel like that. They don't even understand what it is that makes them feel like that. But there are people who don't have, there are people, many people who have good reason to feel like that, of course. But there are many other people who don't have good reason to feel like that, but can't help feeling that there's something more. And uh, they wake up discontented every morning and they can't understand themselves. And that is because they do not have a connection with the Almighty Creator anymore. But here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has been given the power to give life and he is able to give it to whoever he will. Jesus can do this. But you know, for Jesus to give life, something's got to happen to us. Of course, Jesus gives life in two ways. He gives life physically, of course, because he is the one who gives he is the light of every man who is born into the world, the scripture says in John 1. So he's able to give us physical life, but he's also able to give us this spiritual life. And almost all of the commentators will point out the double meaning of this word, life. That Jesus gives us this spiritual life. But do you know what? Before you can get this spiritual life, Jesus is going to give you something else. He's got to give you ears to hear. He's got to give you He's got to give you a mind that is open. He's got to give you a heart that can understand and respond. Because there are many people who hear these words week after week and it makes no difference on them at all. I can recall when I was just a young boy of 16 uh, going to a, what was then, a scripture union camp and uh, uh, with some of my friends and of the friends I went with and my own brother was with me I was the only one who that, at that camp heard the call of God and understood that God has sent his son to come into the world to die on the cross for me and I gave my life to Christ at that camp I didn't understand everything of course at the time but something happened to me at the camp that changed my life now why was it that my brother sitting right next to me in the meeting did not understand what the preacher was saying. Why was it that my friends who were with me getting up to mischief just as I've been doing all through the camp, why did they not hear what the preacher was saying? Because God at that moment gave me an ear to hear. He gave me a mind that was open so that I could hear the truth of his words. Do you realize, friends, how helpless the human race is in the hands of God? We can be left by God to our wars and our fightings and our conflicts and our pandemics and we can be left to struggle on and fight on and look for answers in space for the next thousand years. We're helpless in the hands of God unless he opens our ears and unless he opens our hearts so that we can understand that he has come into the world 
to save us and give us hope for the future. Otherwise we will be scrabbling, spiritually speaking, for the rest of our lives. So Jesus came into the world to give us life and he came to give life to whom he will. And here lies a great mystery. He is the giver. He's the giver. You know as a preacher Simon stands up here on Sundays and he invites all of you to give your life to Christ. And uh, I did that for many years in ministry. I still do when I get the opportunity to speak. I invite all people to give their life to Christ because that's my duty. For God so loved the world so I speak to the world. I invite all people because Jesus said whoever comes to me I will never turn away. But I know that not everybody will come to him. But I don't know who they are. So one day somebody said to me if you believe that Jesus gives life only to those who may will, why, you know, why do you bother to preach? If he's going to save people anyway, why do you bother to preach? And I said to them, well, my job is to take the good news and to throw it out there to the audience. And I let God do all of the choosing and the electing that he wants to do and I do the preaching that he tells me to do. And the seed of the gospel goes out either through the pulpit or through the witnessing or through books that you may read or through some other means that God may choose and that lands in your heart and there it takes root and over a period of time it may begin to it may begin to grow and suddenly you say to yourself there's something more than I want and you are driven to find the Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to give you a heart like that and he's going to give you ears like that and you know who he uses to do it the Lord Jesus will do that for you we know now as you read the rest of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity stands beside the Lord Jesus taking his word and applying it to us but unless your ears are open you won't hear but when your ears are open my dear friends what a joy it is it's like the sun coming in on a gloomy day. It is like somebody sending you good news from home when you're far away. It's like the girl or the guy in your dream saying, yes, I love you too. <laughs> like that. It's a, it's a stroke of joy into your heart and into your soul. It is your ear hearing heaven saying, I love you, I want you and you may come to me. And God gives that to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what interests me when I read the Bible and I read about Jesus' ability to call people to himself or to call people to himself? It's to see who he does. And I notice that most of them that are presented to us as illustrations in the Bible are the people you and I would pass by. They are the people who are called sinners. They are the people whose occupations would, 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 would be rejected by the rest of the people. And so I read about this one Mary who comes and anoints his feet with oil to just rebuke for it. And Jesus says to the rebukers, especially to Judas, leave it alone, you know what she has done, what she could she understood. She understood what's going to happen to me. And she responded in the only way she's, 
she could I have given her an understanding I read about the woman caught in adultery you know and most people who are immoral are not people that we want to mingle with particularly but Jesus says to her where are your accusers and she says there are none Lord he says neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more her ears were opened and she was drawn to him Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and despised of the population he heard about Jesus he's one of those men who woke up every morning and said what am I living for I'm rich and wealthy but no one likes me I'm, 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 I'm not acceptable to people then he heard about Jesus and his heart was struck and he climbed a tree Jesus said to him Zacchaeus oh you know I must be the greatest privilege in the world to hear the son of God say your name but you know when you're sitting in a church service and you feel the seed of God touching your heart you feel as if the preacher is preaching to you you feel as if there's a sledgehammer on your conscience that is God calling you by your name that is like Jesus standing under the tree and saying Zacchaeus now come down I'm going to come to your house today and salvation comes to his house because Jesus has got the power to give life and he is the one who can do it and by giving life Jesus is doing what God does and that's what makes him so glorious and so wonderful glory of Jesus is seen in the fact that he is the one who gives life and then secondly I've only got three points to make secondly Jesus is given the power to be the judge of all people you see what it says here let me just read it to you but I can just get it in this light here he says in verse 22 moreover the father judges no one he has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father and he who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said and my friends judgment as I read it in the Bible that is the prerogative of God is it not? does it not say uh, way back in the Old Testament that God is the judge of all the earth does it not say multiple times in the book of Psalms that God is the judge of the world the judge of all peoples but here we read that judgment has been put into the hands of his son Jesus Christ so Jesus is equal with God and shares the glory of God he has God-like power in that he can bestow life and God has placed the responsibility of judging the world and all his people that he has made he has placed that great honour into the hands of his son Jesus Christ so that on the last day on the judgment day you will face Jesus 
You know, I want to say this to you today because there are many people today who take refuge in an airy-fairy view of things, in a kind of philosophical kind of far-off view of things. Oh, well, God, who is he? I can't picture him, you know. And um, the judgment day with God, yeah, but which God, you know, and who's God, and, uh, and, and who's God you're talking about? And, you know, I'm okay with God, and you know how people think. They think in a trite and a right way. No, no, but here we read that you will face Jesus. Jesus. The God-man. In this passage he's called the Son of Man. Which is a quotation from Dan- Daniel chapter 7. About the great Son of Man who opens the great books of heaven. Judgment is being put into his hands. And if that is not a sign of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what is it? Not only does he have the power to give life, but he has been given the power and the honour to judge the world. He will judge me, he will judge you, we will all be called to face a judgment. I don't know what sort of judgments there will be. Because I know that if you're a Christian, our sins have all been forgiven already. Yet, it says we'll all be called to give an account of the things that's been done in the flesh. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the wisest of all human beings, the greatest of all human beings, the God-man, will be a judge on that day. And then the third and the last thing that I want to say to you today is this. But the third way in which the glory of the Lord Jesus is shown us in these verses of Scripture, which by the way I can't see too well in my Bible with this license yet, excuse me for that. But the third way in which the Lord Jesus Christ's glory and honour is seen in this portion of Scripture is that he's given the power to distinguish who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? You see, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to life, to live. Now, now notice those words. See, it's, it's no good just saying, I, I, I believe. No, no. It's those who have done good, those whose lives have matched what they say they believe about Jesus. It's those who have done good who will rise to live. That's when eternal life matters. You see? And then it says, those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So, there is a mark of the beast and there is a mark of the Son of God out there in the world. And the mark of the Son of God is the good deeds that we who say we believe in him do in the world in which we the cups of cold water that we give to people, the hand of help that we reach out to people, the kind words we mention to people, 
the arm around, we put a, around the bowed shoulder. The, the, the tears that we shed with people, we grieve with those who grieve, we joy with those who joy. All of the things that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ are marked down in his book. And so those who have done good will live, will be resurrected to live. But the mark of the beast is that mark that marks out people who have rejected Christ. Not in any necessarily any any rude way, not necessarily any violent way like some people do, but simply neglecting and simply rejecting him and letting their lives be dictated by the value systems of the world round about them. And those who do evil will be resurrected to judgment. To judgment. And that judgment means that they will be banished forever from the presence of God. Now I want to ask you this as I close. Here are three great things that the Lord Jesus Christ does and he's answering the people who are questioning who he is and are questioning his statement that God is his father and he's saying this I am the one who gives life I am the one who touches your heart and soul and gives you life and hope for eternity I am the one who gives life I am the one who will judge you at the end of your life. You will stand before me and give an account of the things that you've done. And I am the one who will decide your final destiny. Now don't you think those are three great things that Jesus does? Those are things that God has placed into the hands of his Son and they constitute his great glory. It's his glory to be able to do these things. All the more reason why we should embrace him and why we should be absolute about him and why we should love him as a person. Love his message, certainly. Love his words, certainly. Love his people, certainly. Love his church, certainly. Love the poor and the needy, of course. But love Jesus because everything we will do as Christians will stem out of our connection and our relation with Jesus, the person, the Son of the living God who has given us life. Now the great question is whether you have that life or not. Because you will realize from our comments today that if you don't have that life, you will face judgment. So how wonderful if it was on this day, the 10th anniversary of this church, that you sat in your seat and opened your heart and said, Lord, I'm moving from my nominalism. I'm moving from my doubts. I'm moving from my apathy. I am embracing you. I am repenting of my sin. And I'm embracing you, Jesus, because I'm suddenly realizing all that you accomplished on the cross for us. Because there's nothing that Jesus could do for any of us if he didn't die on the cross. And because of his death on the cross and his obedience to God, 
in, in dying for our sins and rising again, he has got the right to give life. He's got the right to judge. And he's got the right to decide what happens to us after death. So please make sure that you love Jesus today and that you come to him and embrace him. Do you think that what I've said makes you fear him a little bit? Good. We should fear him. Oh, but we should love him. Because while on the one hand he's the great son of God, he's the giver of all the glory of heaven into our souls. Now will you bow with me Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great, great Savior you've given us. We pray that you'll forgive us for the many times that we trivialize him by the way we speak about him or think about him or pray to him. Oh God, we pray for eyes to see today how great and glorious he is. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. And when you bless this church, we pray with the presence of Jesus in all the years that lie ahead. Amen.